All right, welcome back to our systematic theology study. We are on uh, number 11 of our 60-part series. Um, so we've now gotten into double digits here. Last time we looked at one in essence, and uh, thanks to John for covering that while I was away. And next time we'll be looking at uh, incommunicable attributes. But this time we're going to look at three in person. And what I thought I'd do this time is we're going to read from our Confession of Faith um, the part that kind of covers what we're looking at today, kind of see what it is we profess, what we believe, and then after that I'm going to read um, some commentary from one of my study Bibles that's also on the same subject that I found helpful. So we'll be kind of doing an overview of what it is we believe and then we will uh, watch the video and come back and do our, our normal overview and questions. Um, so that's the plan. So we're going to look at the confession first, and we're looking at chapter 2 in our um, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689. So you've got your hymnals there. You can open to chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to look at just the beginning of paragraph 1. And then I'm going to skip and read all of paragraph 3, so you can follow along with me. Okay, chapter 2 is of God and the Holy Trinity. Paragraph 1, I'll just read the first part of it here. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. So turn over a little bit for paragraph 3, and we'll read all of paragraph 3 here. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having a whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. And as always, there's uh, some scripture references for further study there. You're welcome to look at those on your own. But that summarizes uh, our belief, what the Bible teaches about the doctrine of the Trinity. And here's a helpful uh, section from a study Bible on the same matter. 1 and 3, the Trinity. The Old Testament constantly insists that there is only one God, the self-revealed Creator, who must be worshipped and loved exclusively. The New Testament agrees, but speaks of three personal agents, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together to bring about salvation. The historic formulation of the Trinity, from the Latin word trinitas, meaning threeness, 
is not an attempt to explain it. That would be beyond us. It does provide a boundary and safeguard for our thoughts about this mystery, which confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind can know. It is not easy, but it is true. The doctrine springs from the historical facts of redemption recorded and explained in the New Testament. Jesus prayed to his Father and taught his disciples to do the same. Yet he convinced them that he was personally divine. Belief in his divinity and in the rightness of offering him worship and prayer is basic to New Testament faith. Jesus promised to send another helper, or paraclete, from the Greek, to carry on his work as the first helper. A paraclete is an advocate, helper, ally, and supporter. The promised helper was the Holy Spirit, who came at Pentecost to fulfill his ministry. From the start, he was recognized as the third divine person. To lie to him, said Peter, not long after Pentecost, is to lie to God. Christ prescribed baptism in the name, singular, one God, one name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, three persons who are the one God to whom Christians commit themselves. So we meet the three persons in the account of Jesus' own baptism. The Father acknowledged the Son, and the Spirit showed his presence in the Son's life and ministry. The blessing of 2 Corinthians 13.14 is Trinitarian, as is the prayer for grace and peace from the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ in Revelations 1, 4, and 5. John includes the Spirit between the Father and the Son only because he teaches that the Spirit is divine in the very same sense as are the Father and the Son. These are some of the more striking examples of Trinitarian teaching in the New Testament. Though the technical language of later theology is not found there, Trinitarian faith and thinking are present in all its pages. In this sense, the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. Basically, the doctrine is that the unity of the one God is complex. The three personal subsistences, as they are called, are co-equal and co-eternal centers of self-awareness, each being quote-unquote I in relation to two who are quote-unquote you, and each having the full divine essence of God, the specific existence that belongs to God alone. God is not one person who plays three separate roles. This is the error called modalism. Nor are there three gods who only seem to be one because they always act together. This is tritheism. The theologian B.B. Warfield put it simply, When we have said these three things, then, that there is but one God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit is each God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit is each a distinct person, we have (coughs) enunciated the doctrine of the Trinity in its completeness. This summarizes what was revealed through the words and works of Jesus, and is the real and is the reality underlying the salvation of the New Testament. Practically speaking, the doctrine of the Trinity requires us to give equal honor to each of the three persons in the unity of the one God. Moreover, knowing the doctrine establishes personal faith no less than it enriches a healthy sense of unity with other Christians. So I found that to be a helpful reading I wanted to share with you. 
So we'll now uh, we'll pause and we'll watch our video, and then we'll come back and go through our uh, our overview and our questions. All right, we have just finished watching our video. Hope you found it helpful. I certainly did. Let's look at our overview for three in person um, introduction. Many claim that the doctrine of the Trinity is a contradiction and that Christians believe in and worship three different gods instead of one. While the doctrine of the Trinity is indeed mysterious, it is certainly not contradictory. And uh, he talked about that. So overview, is the Trinity a contradiction? The formula for the Trinity is paradoxical, but not contradictory. Still, some educated people say it is a contradiction based on logic. The classical statement of the Trinity is one in essence, three in person. Because this formula is not referring to the same thing at the same time and in the same relationship, it does not violate the law of non-contradiction. God isn't both one and three at the same time and in the same relationship. So what is a paradox? The Greek roots para, meaning alongside, and dox, meaning seem or appear, make up the word paradox. A paradox occurs when two things, when placed alongside each other, appear to be contradictory. But looking closely, you can see there is no contradiction. So one, essence, being, substance, or stuff, and two, person, the masks that actors wore to appear as different characters. All right, what is subsistence? It isn't a person who is surviving on meager food. In theology, it means a person who functions under another. One, God can't exist in the technical sense of the word. Two, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit subsist, not exist. Three, one being three persons. Okay, let's look at our, our questions and answers. Um, what logical term can be applied to the doctrine of the Trinity? That would be paradox, not contradiction. What word is a synonym for the informal word stuff? <laughs> I liked his use, stuff. Essence. How was the Latin word persona originally used? As a legal and theatrical term. Is it accurate to speak of God existing? Technically, no. What other way may the persons of the Trinity be described as subsistences? So that's why we say subsistences and instead of existing or existences. Although we say the distinctions between the three persons are necessary, what are the distinctions not? They are not essential. And he described why that is, what essential means in this sense. So let's look at our discussion. Uh, what is the law of non-contradiction? -contra we'll stop, answer that one first. Is that the classical statement of the Trinity is one in essence, three in person? Well, yeah, but how does that, how, how do you look at, at that in the light of what they call the, the law of non-contradiction? What does the law of non-contradiction say? It basically says that something 
can't be uh, different and the same at the same time and space, right? So I can't. Yeah, I can't be one person and two people at the same time. That's a contradiction. So that would be a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Um, but the idea is it has, like you mentioned before, let's see, what did it say up here in our, our kind of summary? Um, because this formula is not referring to the same thing at the same time and in the same relationship. That's why it's not doesn't violate the law of non-contradiction. Does the Trinity violate it? Well, I think we just answered that. <laughs> yeah, it does. The it does not violate the law of non-contradiction because we're not talking about the same thing at the same time in the same relationship. All right, interesting question here. What would be the consequence if it did violate the law of non-contradiction? Yeah, that God could either not be divine or not not exist or sub, subsistence or, you know, God can't be <laughs> if that violated the law of non-contradiction. What is a paradox? We kind of talked about that. Just remind us, what is a paradox? What's the word paradox mean? Right, so... Correct. So a paradox is not a contradiction. Uh, a, a paradox is an apparent contradiction when putting two things next to each other. But when you look closely at it, it's not a contradiction. So that's what you call a paradox. Something that on the surface level looks like a contradiction, but actually isn't a contradiction. How is the Trinity a paradox? Yeah, why, why does the, the concept of Trinity, why does that appear to be a contradiction on the surface level? Because people want to separate them, it appears different. Yeah, because it sounds like we're saying God is one and God is three, right? Because if you don't dig deeper than that, then that appears to be a contradiction. Yeah. What other doctrines appear to be contradictions at first glance? Any thoughts on that? I thought of one. I was thinking about it. Um, the uh, doctrine of faith alone. Because Paul teaches us that we are saved or justified by faith alone. But then you read James and it looks like he's talking about saved by works. You say, well, wait a minute. That's a contradiction, right? But it's not. It's a paradox. It's not a contradiction. Side by side, they look like a contradiction, but once you dig into it, you learn that James is actually talking about fruits of faith, works that necessarily come from genuine faith, and not that they, the works are justifying you, but that if you are justified, you will show works. So when you dig a little deeper, you learn this isn't a contradiction. Let's see. Uh, essence... And person are important words in the doctrine of the Trinity. Explain what they mean in this context. So essence and person, what do they mean? Essence being substance stuff. And then put 
person masks the actors wore to appear as different characters. Right. So essence is is his is talking about his being, his stuff. His <laughs> role put it. I thought that was good. His stuff and uh, person. Um, on the other hand, being the subsistences that that we talk about, right? The uh, the persona. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had to get the God mask or the devil mask, depending on the role, right? Right. So yeah, so you could think of it as as roles. Uh, in a theological context, what does subsistence mean? Well, we learned that the uh, prefix sub means, means under or, or below, beneath, right? Right, so in, in this theological context, then a subsistence would be under his being, under his essence. Uh, what is subsistent, uh, why is subsistence a superior description of God compared to existence? Why, why do we prefer to say subsistence instead of existence? Yeah, he, he walked us through what technically the word exist means, ex meaning uh, out of, and uh, the root meaning um, stand, so stand out of, and he showed us how in order to stand out of being, um, you had to be something outside of, of just being, and creatures are, we're becoming, meaning we're changing, and that is part of our definition is we change. God does not change. He's immutable, right? God doesn't change. So technically, you could say God doesn't exist, but he does subsist. So uh, that's why we use subsistence instead of existence. Does that make sense? I mean, I thought it was interesting how he kind of shocked people, making the argument that God doesn't exist. Now, Wait a minute, what? <laughs> but uh, but no, God God is but just looking at the, the word existence from a technical standpoint, um, you could say all creation exists, everything in creation exists, but God is, is outside of that existence because he doesn't change like, cre like creatures do. Um, okay, any further thoughts or comments on our session? Is uh seem pretty clear or... I mean, I know we say the Trinity is in many ways a mystery because we have trouble getting our our limited minds around the concept. Um, especially, like he talks about how we, we always think of one being one person. So it's kind of hard to break out of that, that mold, that thinking of one being one person. Um, all right, well, um, let's close in prayer. And uh, thanks for joining God and our Father, we uh, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for this time of studying your truth and your word and looking at what we believe uh, your word teaches. Um, Lord, we, we thank you so much that uh, you, God the Father, did send uh, your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Savior. 
Lord, our, our great prophet, priest, and king. And we thank you so much um, for the Holy Spirit, for our, our paraclete, our, our helper, our comforter. Lord, we, we thank you that you do indeed subsist in these uh, three forms, Lord, um, for our, our good and your glory. And we just ask that you uh, watch over us uh, tonight as we travel home and and just ask that you do indeed uh, forgive us for our, our many sins against you, Lord. And uh, we just rest upon Christ's sacrifice for our assurance of faith, Lord. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.